This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Cameo on the stereo. And you want to play all those classic arcade games while you do. And when you're not playing, you want to wave your hands in the air like you don't care. Glide by the people as they start to look and stare. And is there actually a place where you can do all that? Word up, the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And this is No Quarter, a classic video arcade game podcast. How are you, Carrington? I'm amazing. Haven't you heard? Look at me. I heard you were awesome. (laughs) I heard you were awesome, not amazing. You heard from me that I was awesome, but Uh, I was downplaying it. (laughs) Oh, I see. We've actually graduated to amazing now. (laughs) Yeah, Canadian amazing, too. It's like metric. Wow. It's amazing in in tens. How was your week? Fantastic. I didn't have Thanksgiving. See, I the rest either. of the world didn't celebrate your Thanksgiving. <laughs> Not that the internet seemed to be aware that the rest of the world has different holidays than you. What? You guys? But of course, you know. don't celebrate really th- a lot of Thanksgiving stuff either, do you? I, no, I, I generally drink a lot and watch sporting but events. that's and, every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Uh, how do you think I get through this show with you? Oh, uh, sports, yeah, because you guys all have football, right? This is like a big well, that's football what we call it. holiday. We call football, but... Um, and I drove a nice car really fast for a while. That was a lot of fun. And what kind of car was it? Well, my uncle collects um, Ford Mustangs. He's got... Ooh, check out this guy with a <laughs> yeah, collection okay. of Mustangs. Well, I tell Holy him, like, hey, I, I collect uh, vintage computers. And he goes, oh, that's cute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what a real man collects. <laughs> right. He's got a, a 2012 um, Mustang Boss 302, which is oh, what I drove. Sweet. And man, that thing is nice. It goes from Not even into 75 cars, to 120 miles an hour, just like that. And then it just kind of purrs along at that speed. Miles so, an hour? That means nothing to me. Yeah, we don't I have understand. hours in Canada. Yeah, I don't have a calculator... <laughs> web page in front of me so i'm not going to bother to convert to kph canadian per hour or something like that with a k i don't know uh and he's got a i think like a 2006 or 7 uh boss i think that one's like a 40420 or something like that um and then his original 1970 boss 302 which is a beautiful car he's totally restored it but man that thing is a tank to drive compared to the 2012 does he watch Who's the Boss reruns a lot too? Is he really just in, and listens to Springsteen? Is he really just into boss things? <laughs> he is, and he hires people just to fire them so he can be the boss. <laughs> well, that's boss. Yes, <laughs> that is pretty nice. That was my Thursday. I've always been more of a two wheel guy than a four wheel guy. Like I've got my Jeep and I like it, but um, I'm not super into cars or trucks or the way that I am into motorcycles and, and Vespas. Yeah, I, I definitely prefer the the, the motorcycle experience and I, I certainly wouldn't spend the 65 grand that he did on that that uh 2012 but man that thing was nice to to drive around for a couple of hours i mean yeah very it's cool certainly a lot of fun to to borrow his car i think so that's kind of what borrow. i did on In quotes Thursday. borrow it's <laughs> borrow, does yeah, he know that you it. drove this car <laughs> uh well he will eventually <laughs> uh, when he, if he subscribes when to he, the podcast he he's like what what <laughs> when he wakes up run it backwards ferris bueller uh, style well, when he wakes up and finds out that it's not in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, you're podcasting of him right now right. on the highway. I've just tuned in to watch your uh, I'll tell case. you what. There's no sound dampening at all. So, like, you have to shout to be heard over that engine. 
even even just cruising it's it is loud 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 so there's no podcasting from that thing oh and this is the ford mustang podcast ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us i don't think it is i, th- no? I think we've now exhausted what we know about these vehicles we need to yeah, get pretty much she would tell us what they what's inside them well he starts he started telling me about the the technical aspects of the engine and my brain kind glazed of glazed over a little bit yeah a little bit because i mean I, I find this stuff fascinating but i know nothing about the internals of of you know the uh, internal combustion engine and and how how you get 444 horsepower out of a 415 horsepower engine or something i, I don't know it's, you bore it's out very the thing that gets bored impressive. he said and i'm sure that that if he let me borrow it long enough i'd you know go cruising and pick up girls or something so Ooh, look at you. Check out this guy with his big it's boss, like, Mustang. Ooh. Yeah, you bet, baby. <laughs> Compensation. <laughs> All right. Enough oversharing. Let's, uh, I, I'm sure we have feedback. We do, mostly because, like, once again, the contest was going on, so lots of people writing yeah, in. crazy, right? <laughs> in fact, we got, um, I guess we'll get to it, but we got well well over 200 entries to the contest. Wow. So That's, that's like 200 more listeners. The, the two, that's like more than 200 listeners. Huh, easy. Forget it. <laughs> Well, it's not necessarily that everyone who writes in listens to the show. Oh, <laughs> Maybe I they see. just heard they should send us email. It's possible, yeah. And that's fine, too. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure they listen. <laughs> um, so but we can read some of the, the regular feedback we got as well. Sure. Uh, Scott wrote in to say, hey, guys, I love the show. I was born in 1967, and so I was the perfect age to experience video games in their prime. When I was a kid, there was a pizza parlor in my town called Shotgun Sands. I remember they had three video games. There was a submarine game, which I think was Seawolf, a gunfighter game, which I don't know the name of it, and a motorcycle game where you raced back and forth and jumped buses. This would have been sometime in the mid to late 70s. I remember when I first saw Space Invaders at the 7-Eleven by my house. There was a crowd of about 10 people gathered around it, and it was pretty amazing. I spent many quarters and many hours of my youth in arcades. I love your show because I learned because I learned more about some of the games that I loved as a kid, but I also learned about games that I have never even heard of before. Because I was so young when the arcades were around, I couldn't drive, so I always depended on other people to take me to an arcade, and I was pretty limited on the games I got to play. Uh, I'd like to suggest a couple of games to review. They were some of my favorites as a kid, and although they are separated by a few years, I think the gameplay is very similar. They are Berserk and Robotron 2084. Uh, anyway, keep up, keep putting out the podcast, and I'll keep listening. Thank you for the email, Scott. And those are, I think, those are definitely already on our list because those are yeah. must play, must review games. And I agree. There's a lot of sim. It's weird. There's a lot of similarities because in the the franticness of playing, like Robotron is much more so than Berserk. Berserk almost feels like uh, a languorous game <laughs> in a sense. But that's, but they, there is a lot that's similar in that the 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 motion the the you know, got the robot walking around shooting things. One's more maze-like than the other. But yeah, I, I see the similarities as well. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I, I think I kind of prefer, prefer Robotron, but I obviously, because it's a, you, you get overwhelmed much more quickly in that game. It's much harder. So I'm actually better at Berserk. Not that I'm good at either game, but you know, um, so the James, the Albert wrote in on <laughs> Facebook and said, uh, hello, Mike and Carrington. Uh, this week's podcast blew my mind and got me lost on the way home. We're talking about the, uh, the Red Baron show that we did. He said, I was driving home on Monday through a mild snowstorm that blew through Ohio due to the huge number of accidents on the highway. I ended up driving local to get home. I popped on your podcast and was happily listening to it to pass the time. You guys were doing the feedback portion about last week's game, Red Baron. And someone mentioned the Snoopy and the Red Baron song. All of a sudden, a memory that I had 
buried for over 36 years popped back into my head. I had the song on 45 as a wee kid. I remember listening to it over and over on my little record player. It's a crazy feeling to remember something that was completely forgotten like that. Oh, you weren't done with me yet on this snowy winter's night? Not by a long shot. Uh, Mike then mentioned the Snoopy snow cone machine and my mouth dropped. <laughs> Carrington, uh, then Carrington played the commercial. Uh, out of that same black hole of forgotten memories came every single word of the jingle. Like I was possessed, I began to sing along. I knew every word to the commercial that I hadn't heard or thought of since 1979. Attached to this uh, memory came more memories of me. Saturday morning cartoons with the commercials being shown. Me with the Sears wishbook choosing games and toys that I wanted. I pictured myself staring longingly at the snow cone machine and hoping I'd get it for Christmas. I never did. Luckily, I had quite a few friends who did, so I didn't miss out on all the fun. When I finally came back to reality and pulled myself out of autopilot... I had somehow missed a turn or two and ended up driving into an unfamiliar part of town. Thanks, guys. It was totally worth it. Uh, this is the best show since Sorry, Charlie. Keep up the great job. The James. P.S. I shared the commercial on my Facebook page and got a ton of people liking and commenting who remembered it and got some and some who got it for Christmas. So thank you writing in, The James. Very cool. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing how as a kid you'll you'll be marketed to with these toy commercials and such. And the jingles stay with you. I, yeah. I can hear the first part of any kind of period appropriate toy or game jingle. And I will know <laughs> all the words and it's, it's bonkers bonkers. How you never forget that stuff. So this is sort of a, a, a weird segue to, to get to, to my um, attachment to this email. I, uh, it, it, if you remember the movie, demolition man of course yeah there's, there's a, a scene where they're driving down the road and, and the radio channel is just nothing but commercial jingles and they're, they're singing along to them and this movie came out when i was in my early 20s and i didn't really have a, a sense of nostalgia or or you know a, a deep memory well that i could reach back into and so i was like that's ridiculous but now totally makes sense to me that that they would attach themselves to these little jingles like that because those are obvious those are often the things that that we remember most and best Yep. In fact, I think I've said on an earlier podcast, I kind of wish when they would issue, um, say, old TV shows on DVD or Blu-ray or what have you, downloads, um, they cut out all the commercials. I These are one of the few times where I would like them to just leave them in. If I'm watching a show from the <laughs> early 80s or 70s even, I, I don't want a ton of commercials, but put in a period, actual, real commercial break, I will watch that product. And I think like a lot of those brands are still around. So they would be proper advertising. I think there would be companies that would be willing to pay for that ad space. I just think I think there's a real market for that because these are ads I would want to actually watch. Well, there's actually a um, a YouTube account that someone set up. Um, uh, it's uh, vintage television commercials. I think the the YouTube username is Vintage Television, and it's from the like 70s and 80s, and they're just they're like it's 20 minute videos that are just nothing but 80s commercials. That might sewn, be <laughs> sewn together. Uh, and they've got, yeah, well, I mean, there's dozens and dozens of these things and, and you obviously probably don't want to sit and watch every single one of these and uh, unless you're obsessive about it. But, uh, if you just search on YouTube for vintage commercials or eighties commercials, there's a ton of that stuff out there that you can watch and you don't even have to watch Charles in charge to, to see them. And now we'll take a break for our new sponsor. <laughs> We're going to suddenly start running ads all the way through this. <laughs> 
If you've got trouble, wait, don't run. This kind of trouble is lots of fun. Pop the Matic, pop the dice, pop the six, and you move twice. Race your men around the track and try to send the others back. That's pop trouble. The game is fun for dad and mother, and sis can trouble her mean old brother. Trouble, trouble, that's the name of Koner's pop game. The most exciting chase game that makes trouble fun for everyone. Get Koner's pop game. Trouble, that's the name. No quarter, blazing the trail. Yeah. Um, there, there's, a thing of, there's a thing, oh, of, just what? real quick. What? There, there, what? there is a certain, I don't know, silly, almost innocence now about watching some of these commercials that, that I actually really enjoy. So, and, and I don't feel like they're being forced down my throat because I'm going to to YouTube to see them for nostalgia rather than I'm trying to listen to the show and this thing's being forced down my throat. So, But there's a big difference between rewatching by choice, a commercial that you have a nostalgic connection to from when you're a kid versus something right. Like I can't watch regular TV now because commercials like, Oh my gosh. Or listen to terrestrial radio. It's It's like, it's all ads. It's crazy. But there's, there's still radio being done. Yep. That's what I hear. My, my, (laughs) uh, my podcast and satellite radio delivery system in my vehicle (laughs) also can pick up these old fashioned things called terrestrial stations, which are there mostly for the occasional traffic alert or weather alert and ads. As far as I can tell, I hear rumors that some of those things also occasionally play like some musical act, but I haven't actually encountered that myself personally. That seems odd. Feed me some more back, Carrington. You got it. Uh, Keith wrote in to say, I, I say, howdy, fellers. I did a mm. blog post today. Oh, this is Keith from um, All in Color for a Quarter. Nice. Right. I did a blog post today on a subject that might interest you. Plus, I've got to write something if I want to enter your contest. Did you know there was another media entry called No Quarter? So what, you ask? Aren't there lots of things called No Quarter out there? Okay, what if I told you this one was video game related? Yawn. What if I told (laughs) you it came out in 1983 at the height of the golden age of video games? Still not impressed? Well, what if I told you that it was Canadian like half of y'all are? I bet that has you curious. But first, before I get to what it is I'm getting to, I had a minor bit bit of feedback on last week's episode. One thing I did didn't notice or didn't note in my blog post on War of the Worlds is that the conversion kit was actually licensed to progressive game distributors, aka PGD, which was not, as someone in one of your links speculated, owned by Cinematronics. It was actually a separate company founded in San Diego on June 1st, 1982 by David Stroud, a former Cinematronics executive. I'm not sure how many conversion kits PGD D produced, but I'd guess it was uh, more than the supposed dozen copies of the upright. PGD also licensed Complex X, another supposedly unreleased game from Taito America. Complex X was programmed by Scott Bowden, who also programmed Star Castle and Solar Quest for Cinematronics. He later went to work for PGD, PGD, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's easier to say their full name, um, which for which some former Cinematronics employees joked stood for, pretty good, Dave, as did <laughs> Tim Skelly, where the two of them worked on Trivia Master, one of a host of similar games produced during the coin-op trivia game craze of 1985. Anyway, 
Back to the subject at hand. No Quarter was an episode of a CBC radio horror anthology series called Nightfall with a video game-based plot. The episode, that is, not the series. You can read my blog post for details. Skip past the Uncle Vic story if you want. But here's a link where you can listen to the program. And he gave us a link, and we will put that in the show notes. And um, he concludes, as I mentioned in the blog, it is not one of the better episodes of the series, which overall is outstanding, but it is well worth listening to if only for the many video game references. If you are at all interested in radio horror, take some time to listen to a few other episodes. Thank you so much for the email, uh, Keith. That was fantastic. I'm actually aware of Nightfall, which was a fantastic series, but I don't think I've ever heard this episode. And I saw the blog post that I've uh, bookmarked, but I haven't actually read it yet. So this was all news to me. I'm excited about it. And we'll put the link in the show notes so other people can be excited too. Yeah, my, my uncle gave me a bunch of his old cassettes that he'd recorded off the radio of um, of the classic, like, well, I guess now we would call them cla- vintage or classic radio programs, and, and uh, Nightfall was one of them. I, I only listened, he only had a few episodes of that. He wasn't really big into the horror stuff, but uh, I think we should use this No Quarter episode as our, our April Fool's episode. We'll just we'll just broadcast that that show. And everyone will think it's real. That's right, they will. They'll be totally fooled. The Martians have landed. Uh, Mark Kirby wrote in, uh, and he provided us a, a link to a very interesting piece of uh, history from the UK. It's the House of Commons uh, 1981 attempt to limit the use of arcade machines. Um, and it, uh, it, this link is actually a transcript of the UK House of Commons session uh, where they tried to introduce this bill, Standing Order Number 13, uh, to, to, prevent, um, to prevent the import and use of Space Invaders and, and other games like it. About time we got around preventing those. That's right. <laughs> uh, and, and I remember you, I think the reason that Toronto doesn't have arcades or didn't have a lot of them was for similar reasons, wasn't it? They were worried yep. about gambling and crime and things like that. Still are. Toronto's pretty <laughs> badass, you know. You guys are tough, man. <laughs> you, hey, you, you elected and then reelected Rob Ford. Oh. Aww. Boo. Hey, it's the um, one thing that we can make fun of you guys for. There's so many <laughs> things that, that we, you can make fun of us for. So let us have this one thing. Okay, you can no. have it. Uh, Wade wrote in to say, I stumbled across his ad in the... Oh, speaking of which, so we've been just told about one other no quarter. Coincidentally, Wade wrote in to tell us about another, another no quarter. So Wade wrote to say, I stumbled across this ad in the December 1988 issue of Compute and immediately thought of your podcast. <laughs> thought you might enjoy seeing it. Is there any connection to the podcast name? And so he gave us a link to a full page magazine ad for some company called Arcadia. And the title does indeed at the top say, no quarter, just endless arcade action. It's a promotion for their home computer versions, though, of arcade games. So sort of the exact opposite to what we do. And I think these were mostly for uh, Amiga and Atari ST. So anyway, uh, Wade concludes to say, by the way, I enjoy your show very much and look forward to each episode. Keep up the good work. P.S. Carrington, glad you finally got an Atari. The 800 is an mm. excellent machine all around. I'm actually really enjoying my 800 very much. So still an Trader. Apple II guy, but no, still an Apple II guy, but the 800 is a sweet machine. I am really digging it. So I had seen the, that, that ad actually before that um, he sent in. Ooh. Pretty, well, it's pretty cool. And then the reason it's funny is because I, I remember when we were naming, trying to come up with a name for this podcast, 
I think you you sent a list of four or five pretty creative names, and I think I sent uh, a list of like twenty. Well, maybe it was. You just I, mostly just rejected, rejected, rejected. Well, I just rejected. threw a dart. Mike is very I hard to please. A, <laughs> I printed out the names and I threw a dart, and that's the one that stuck. And then, it kind of like I think it was later on that we realized there were all these other things out there that were game related called No Quarter, but at that point it was uh, too late to change the name. So that's what you're stuck with, listeners, and it's all Kevin's fault. Because Mike does actually like well, I do some editing and stuff. Mike does all the work on facebook and twitter all the actual work <laughs> and when you it, it's that weird like i and i'm never even really sure but we've got like one of them is no quarter show and one is no quarter podcast and wasn't it because we like you registered one of them first and then it was too many characters to go on the other service right. so yeah so different. so on facebook it was no I think quarter ahead podcast, on but on on twitter they limit the the length of, of usernames and so it would have been no quarter podcasts without the without the T at the end, which just didn't really feel right. So, so I guess so. The tip to other podcast listeners: so we have lots of people who write in and say they enjoy our show and it's inspired them. They're going to be launching their own podcast. So, if you do that, yeah. register your Twitter name first, because right. <laughs> if you can fit it on Twitter, you can fit it on Facebook. <laughs> this was the lesson we did not learn, <laughs> but eh, mm. now we know. Learn from our neither mistakes. Of us really, neither of us really ever go on Facebook anyway, so it doesn't really Save matter. Save yourself some pain. <laughs> um, so Egan sent us in one of, another one of his patented link-only emails that I like so much, this mm. time with the subject short and sweet, as opposed to those lengthy ones that only have a link, but okay. Um, this one was to Pixel Pioneers, A Brief History of Graphics. It's um, a YouTube video. In fact, it's actually a YouTube series. It's pretty cool. It's a five-part series on um, milestones in video game graphics. And naturally, the first couple of videos in the series will be of most interest to us classic arcade fans. So he sent us a link to the first video. So I'll put that link in. In fact, I might even just put a link right into, I found the, um, like a playlist. So you can link directly to that. So you can jump between the videos. Because sometimes, you know, you watch one video and it'll say that it's one of five and you're looking like, okay, where's two of five? And YouTube wants to show you, here's number three. I'm like, I don't want number three. I want number two. Um, so I'll link directly to, I guess, the uh, playlist. So you won't have to go through the trouble. Ah, oh, the troubles that I've seen. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> what else do we have here? Lock is lit. Podcast pinball wizard Mark Johnson wrote in to say, uh, love the latest show, guys. As usual, I really enjoyed the discussion about whether or not to upgrade classic game components. You mentioned if you could upgrade the internals of, say, a vector game, would that be okay? My opinion is yes. And my reasons, like everything else in life, involve pinball. <laughs> With pinball machines, you Wouldn't have a ton of... we ban him for being a pinball fan? <laughs> yeah, but I think he's making a really good point, so I'll read this All right, that's fine. Um, with pinball machines, you have a ton of different circuit boards in the back box. Usually an MPU board, driver board, power supply, interconnect board, and sound board. Sometimes there are others, but these are the most common. As in arcade games, you're dealing with 20-year-old components and more often than not, battery damage on the MPU. You can, of course, repair the boards, replace the caps and transistors, etc. But you can also buy replacement boards. These boards are made with new components, and a lot of times they're designed with more robust circuitry than what the original had. In some cases, you can get a single board that replaces multiple boards. Here's a link to Pascal's Gottlieb System 80 board. It's a single board that replaces the MPU, power supply, sound board, and driver board. It isn't cheap, around $400, but you get one single board with modern components. Here's the kicker, though. If you were to replace all the other boards, all the old Older boards in a pinball machine with new ones, it seems to add nothing to the value of the machine. Pinball purists would rather have the originals, and they're often of the repair or don't replace mindset. 
I fall somewhere in the middle. I would rather have the new boards in a machine as that's one less thing to fix. And on pinball, everything you can bulletproof helps, but they are expensive. So I will repair boards if it's within my skill set. Battery damage is one thing where it's much easier just to replace the board. A company called Rotten Dog makes good MPU replacements. And for example, and here it is. And so he sent us a link to that. And which we'll put that in the show notes. We'll, we'll sully our show notes with a second link on pinball. Um, so he concludes. So I guess my point is you can upgrade the internals on pins, but A, it's going to cost a lot of money, and B, it will not make the game's value go up. It will, however, give you a much more reliable game, and you will not notice any difference in gameplay. Win-win in my book. And I thought he made some really good points there because that's kind of along the lines that I was thinking that as long as I can't tell and can't tell as in even visually, like if you're going to replace a monitor, there is no current modern monitor that I can't tell it's not the proper monitor. But I envision that we're not too off, far off from a, uh, a retina monitor of some sort that could perfectly, like l- literally perfectly emulate um, the the original look of a game where I couldn't tell it wasn't the original other than it wouldn't have that um, convex shape to it, I guess. So that might be an issue. Um, But for the internals, I don't really think that it matters to me if it's not an original board, to be perfectly honest, as long as I can't tell. And usually I can. Like if I'm playing on a 60 and one, there'll be slightly different. There'll be some small differences because it's often emulating the game. And I can tell the difference between that and the original. But if I can't tell, I think I don't care. I have two That's, thoughts on, on this. Email. You have two thoughts. I, I know it's crazy, right? <laughs> we should have a sound effect for that or something. <laughs> we, we should have like a like an eight new bit personal fanfare. best. <laughs> we need like an eight bit eight bit trumpet fanfare playing or something. I have been saying I, that for years. <laughs> <laughs> just following me around. I just every time I have a thought, it'll, it'll go off, and people <laughs> will know that I'm thinking. <laughs> did you get a text? Nope, had an idea. <laughs> right. uh, so, so the first is that I'm impressed that he was able to get an entire email about about pinball read on this this show. <laughs> Sort of no, because it went through me. subterfuge and and, and uh, subversion going on there. I think congratulations, sir. Uh, the second is I, I really like his kind of the, the thought about uh, the repair versus replace, and and you know I I, I kind of like I, I would rather have a working machine with with new parts than a non-working machine with parts that that I'm unable to repair just because I don't want to replace them. You know I I think that. It's sort of a, you know, I will do everything in my power to, to repair the original, but if I can't, then I'm okay with, with finding new replacement parts. Right. That's all. Okay. I have nothing else. Okay. Well, my thoughts ran out really quickly. I'm glad that you shared your thoughts. I don't know if that was worth the sound effect. <laughs> Maybe half the oh, sound effect. Oh, speaking of sound effects, <laughs> ah, let me dig that one up. We got email from uh, somebody named Jennifer. Uh, I think it was Jennifer. I can't find the email. We got so much email this last week. You know, sorry if it wasn't Jennifer, but I think it was somebody named Jennifer. Wrote in to basically say that she loved the show, and she was asking that why is it sometimes, though, there are, like, tons of extra goodies in the mix. Like, there'll be commercials and sound effects and all these things, and sometimes there's almost nothing. There's, like, the sound effects of the next game and basically nothing else. And I'll tell you – and so she was – she hypothesized, was it that, like, sometimes for certain games – 
there's more things available. Like there are certain games where I would be able to find a commercial for the game and other games, there simply weren't any commercials other than home versions. And for some games, there wouldn't even like this week, there wouldn't even be a home version. <laughs> and, um, or there's like a, like a Starcade episode for certain games and not for others. But that's not really the reason. The real reason is it depends on how late we record because <laughs> we have a <laughs> fixed recording. We normally record at uh, seven thirty Eastern time on third. This is a little, Inside baseball, 7.30 Eastern time on Thursdays. But sometimes one of us can't make that. Like this week it was Thanksgiving. So it got bumped and we're now recording on Saturday. And the later we record, the less time I have to do anything funky with the mix. So when I do the edit, I will do like a basic edit with none of that stuff. And if we record on Thursdays, that's done on Thursday. And then... We don't publish till Sunday, so I'll be thinking, oh, I could do better, and I will go back to it, and I will insert all those things. If, however, we record on Saturday or sometimes even late on Sunday, well, then you don't get any of that stuff. <laughs> so that's the reason. So you can tell when listening to a show whether or not we recorded on Thursday or the weekend. I'll give you a hint. This week, we'll not have any of that stuff. <laughs> so well, and, and some games just don't – You know, you, you go out there and you can find – Television commercials for an art. Uh, it's not the Atari game. It's my laziness. There's always something I could put in that's fun. Well, but I mean, you can find te- television commercials on YouTube for an Atari version of a game, or even mm-hmm. the original arcade sometimes, or, or you know, like the the there was that that Laserdisc game that we did that actually had on the Laserdisc itself like an Easter egg. There were were videos from the developers on how it was made and, and things like that. And other ones were unpopular or just playing horrible games that nobody played. And so there's no, none or very little of that stuff out there. And, and it does go back to our laziness because there's even on those days where, where we record on Thursday, there's, there is sort of a, well, you know, how much am I really going to search for this? You know, how much do I, I search for, it. do I love our users? <laughs> well, not very much today because they wrote some nasty emails, so they get nothing. Mike's being nice, but no, I, it's all my laziness. It's like if we record on Thursday, you get the Snoopy co- Snow Cone commercial. If we record on Saturday or Sunday, you get nothing. <laughs> but you get the show. At least we're we're pretty consistent. Like unlike most podcasts, we do pump it out. <laughs> so we missed once. I, uh, I was waiting for the emails on that one. But for the most part, I figured that's the most important thing is get you the show. And then sometimes you get bonus stuff. <laughs> like, and then you'll appreciate it more on those shows oh, because shit. it's not every time. You're that's teaching, the real you're reason. Teaching yeah, Lessons about appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes, appreciate me. That's the lesson. You should appreciate me. <laughs> um, let's do another email. One more. One more. I like oh, this one because he sent us a great picture. So the I go <laughs> written as the undisputed Lord of the Night Nick wrote in to say, This is my last chance to guess a vector game for the month of no vector, so I will have to pull Lunarlander from my bag and toss that up as my mm. sacrificial guess. <laughs> Since my, it's my last guess. Since my last guess, I have successfully resurrected one of these classics from the dead, and it seems that it has brought some of the dead along. Let's just say it's possible that these old vector games generate some x-rays if not rebuilt property. And he sent us a photo that I will figure out a way to stick it online so you can see it in our in our show notes. It's hilarious. So it's it's his resurrected Asteroids game with a full articulated skeleton at it playing the game. <laughs> so it's like he got sapped. <laughs> so he has brought the game back from the dead and he has brought someone else back from the dead. Oh, he yes. is indeed the undisputed Lord of the Night. <laughs> so <laughs> great, great photo. So I'll make sure that we, uh, we throw that in the show notes as well. Nice. So I guess it's time to pick a winner. Well, do we want to do that? Because if we just pick the winner... Um... They won't listen to the rest they of the show. They won't listen to the rest of the show. Of course. Oh, they will. They well, love if, us. If we put it at the end, they'll just skip ahead anyway. So sure, Exactly. So we might as well just do it now. They'll skip it like oh, a commercial. Oh, oh, we, we do have one more email that I think Ooh. is important. Yeah. What I do just, we have? Uh, it took me a minute to find it. Um, this, is, uh, uh, this is from <laughs> Tiras Fall Glades. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And her, I think her real name is Angie because she signs off as Angie. So says, uh, greetings, guys. First off, I adore the show. That being said, all in caps, uh, Carrington soothsaying about the perfect emulation of monitors gave, monitors gave me a bit of an eye twitch. I hadn't realized how, <laughs> how much an authentic CRT monitor meant to me until I tried to imagine life without one. The curved glass, the subtle burn-in, the none more black darks. Okay. The what is this power efficiency that you speak of warmth? Uh, <laughs> a cabinet wouldn't be right without it. Their resolution and clarity are laughable. They're heavy, they're fragile, and they can blow your head halfway across the room. And I love them. When Mike actually agreed with Carrington on this, I think I wept. I'm heartbroken, <laughs> sirs. So yes, tap away on your retina display cabinets, you heathens. Just be sure to find a good home for the old CRTs that you heartlessly tear from your cabinets and watch those hands they may try to defend themselves. Uh, the same goes for controls. Playing a, pack, a game of Pac-Man on a modern joystick is completely different than playing Pac-Man on a proper leaf spring joystick. And she's absolutely right on that, that point. Um, it is completely different, and you can't tell me otherwise. La, 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 I cannot hear you. Uh, since you both enjoy Black Tiger so much, I would suggest uh, Rockola's Warp Warp as an upcoming game oh. to restore the balance. <laughs> and of course, please toss my name to the hat for the joystick giveaway. Authenticity is awesome, but so is destroying your friends from the comfort of your couch. Thank you, gents. Angie. Very good email. I actually agree with both those points. And I think that's the thing that I've, I've had difficulty making clear is I don't think that there is any solution on the market right now that can properly replace the monitor. There isn't one. Like any, any monitor that is sold at the moment that you put in that is not the traditional CRT is going to pull me out of the game because it's not going to look accurate. There isn't a way to do it properly any more than you can emulate the game using a, a handheld controller or something. But I envision that it's coming. Like I see that as something that can be made. I don't see there being in the future a different joystick because like what I'm not going to digitally recreate that. Or if I switch to a different controller, it's not going to feel the same, but I think there will be monitors. Um, maybe not next two years, but 25 years from now, 50 years from now, there is no way there's not going to be a monitor that can just perfectly emulate it. And it's got it. And that's the thing is if I can see the difference, it's not good enough. Um, and I think there will be monitors that will be good enough. I think Angie will be wrong. But she's not wrong yet. I anticipate a day in which, in the future, Angie is one day wrong. <laughs> and I'd like to, I'd like to point out. I, I've talked many times about you know getting like a, an X gaming joystick uh, and making or winning one <laughs> or winning one. That's right. Or and making modifications to it. You know, uh, go ahead and and do that. And um, I've redone the buttons on my my um, XRK Dual and. Um, there's a spinner mounted now. And she mentions that, that obviously, you know, it, it's not the same playing Pac-Man on one of these as it is with a, a leaf spring. And the great thing is that you can go to places, uh, online and order a leaf spring joystick that will mm -hmm. mount nicely in your X arcade machine. So yeah, you're not getting the, the full stand-up cabinet experience, but that's not really what you're going for when you buy one of these X arcades, I think. I mean, sure you can buy one and integrate it into a cabinet that you're building yourself, but I, th I think probably most of their buyers don't do that with those sticks. Yeah, I saw the last, no, not the last time, because that was at um, Underground Arcade, but the second last time I played a Sinistar machine, it was a cabinet that had an LCD in, and I, I just didn't even want to play it. it just, <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Oh my God. And it also didn't have the sound working. It was like, this This is <laughs> oh, this yeah. is just not the game. <laughs> like, oh, I think that it's... um. There's a there's a range here where most people, almost everybody would agree that if you if a cabinet had a broken part, like say the joystick breaks, can't be repaired, and you get a vintage original joystick 
from, like, say you've got a Pac-Man cabinet. Joystick dies, can't be repaired. Another Pac-Man cabinet has unfortunately completely been destroyed other than the joystick, but it's an original Pac-Man joystick, and you put that into your cabinet. So it's no longer the original that came with this particular cabinet, but it was an original OEM part from the day. Almost everybody would say, that's totally fine. Like even the complete purist would say that. So that's our least destructive, perfect way. And then there's the, you know, I'm going to rip it all out, put in an LCD that's terrible, and <laughs> I'm going to turn it into a, a 301 that's only going to play fighting games, and I'm going to paint over the side art. And and sh- like like that's, you know, <laughs> nobody wants that one. So, But I think it's a continuum between them where – and the people that are either on more on the purity side or more on the convenience side, and I think everybody's probably got some shades of gray in there. Sure, there's an adjustable um, level of suspension of disbelief that you can you can get away with, you know, and and as it slides further and further towards that completely replaced CRT joystick, or the LCD joy, um, cabinet, and all that stuff, it becomes harder and harder to swallow. It's just a, how much disbelief are you willing to suspend to enjoy the For game? For me, it's, yeah, as well. There's the archaeological aspect where I think one of the most important things is you you shouldn't make the decision that can't be unmade. So it has to be like a replacement in a way that you can put something back. So if you decide that you personally want a different joystick or something, drilling holes in is not appropriate or like destroying the monitor you take out or taking out a monitor in a way that cannot be, somebody couldn't restore that cabinet. Those are the things I'm against because it seems like, well, now you've definitely removed, you can't, we can't change our mind or a cabinet's actually lost. So that's the stuff I don't like. So in, in 20 years, you're going to be against the fact that I modified this XRK joystick. I'm against everything you do now. Well, I understand. You already, you already made the list. That, that, that's a given, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of list, we have a large list of people that entered a contest. 237. Wow. We got a little over crazy. 200 by email and then the rest by Twitter and very few by Facebook. Mostly it was email. Lots of email, 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 email. Mostly because I think the first time we mentioned the podcast – you said that they had to write it and say why they were cool enough to win or something, and a lot of people took you seriously. So we had no, a lot of people cool. write it to say why they were cool. And we'll be reading some of those over the over the coming shows too, because there you were some really good ones. You didn't have to write. Don't listen to Mike when we're you in didn't contest. have to, but if you did, uh, we appreciate that. We like hearing and you're stories. You're less likely about, to win. <sighs> don't listen to Carrington. He's just being Carrington. We we like hearing stories from from our listeners about how they grew up gaming. It's yeah, it's that's very true. cool, and this was a way to get people to do that, and they did. So shut up, Carrington. <laughs> um, shall we pick a winner? I think we should. Our listeners want us to. I know they um, do. Okay, so we have two hundred thirty-seven. So as you since I'm looking at the list, eighteen. Uh, oh my goodness! Okay, there we go. So we just go down the list to number eighteen. These are also not in any order. I didn't even keep them in the order that they came in. So it's um, so so eighteen. I wish this was a numbered list. So one, two. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to reorder the list, you should probably no. I to count down. We have a winner. It is Jer uh, Jer Buckman. Hmm. Oh, I, get, I think it stands for. Oh yeah, <laughs> Citizen Starfleet Commander uh, Jeremy Buckman. He oh told us over the email. <laughs> okay, so let me read Jeremy. Congratulations, Jeremy, and here is the email. Uh, oh, <laughs> Jeremy wrote. <laughs> Jeremy wrote in to say why he was cool. See, I told you a lot of people. See? What makes me cool in No Quarterland? The fact that I discovered the podcast two months ago and listened through the back catalog, and I'm now enjoying the weekly episodes. I like to view what episode you're doing next to try to see how my high score compares to the two of yours. X Arcade would make that so much easier. But whoever gets picks picked, cheers to them and cheers to you all as well. Wow, what a fantastic gift! Thanks for the hours of entertainment. And by the way. Matt Mania brought me to this podcast. 
I love that game and you podcasted on it. Hooked on the podcast now. Also throw my favorite game in the hat of topics, Donkey Kong Jr. Thanks, Citizen Starfleet Commander Jeremy. <laughs> I, I'm Someone gave himself a title and one. That makes me happy. <laughs> so congratulations, Jeremy. Um, yes. uh, I think what we should do is wait until after this is published for a couple of days. So hopefully he can hear his name called live on air. Uh, that would be fun, I think. And then we will reach out to you and get an address and stuff and, and get your choice of whichever um, X-Arcade game controller you would like sent off to you. Yes, congratulations. And and for the 236 of you that didn't win but entered, thank you very much. And we will be having more contests in the future. So, mm. uh, you know, don't don't give up hope. You might win next time. And again, I really want to thank both of the sponsors for the contest. Yes. The Underground yes. Retrocade, who has been our sponsor now for Ever. well over 100 shows and just is an amazingly supportive sponsor. And just like so – and it's just one of those things where we decided we wanted to do this thing. And we didn't even have to reach out <laughs> To like he proactively contacted us and said, "Great, love the idea, and I'll I'll pay for it." Like, <laughs> look at you and um and X Arcade, who who also is going to be picking up the other half of it. So X Gaming, who who makes the uh, X Arcade controllers and and um you know arcade parts and console adapters and that amazing arcade to TV thing that Mike and I both want. Um, and so it's your choice of any of the joystick game controllers they make. So it could be the tank stick, the solo joystick, or the dual, and um it's yours for free. So congrats. Congratulations, Jeremy. And now, on with the gaming. And now, on with Barrier by Cinematronics and or Vector Beam, depending on what point you're talking about it, from 1979. It was um, basically uh, interesting history behind the game and, and how it got made and why it got published by who it got published. Um, it was designed by... Uh, Rob Patton, who was a new programmer at Cinematronics. I think he was like 17 at the time. And this was kind of a test assignment given to him as the very first thing to do. His next game, which he also did along with Tim Skelly, was uh, what we talked about last week was War of the Worlds. So if his name sounds familiar, it's because um, we talked about him already. And I think he did one more game as well. For, and then that was it for him in the industry. <laughs> so there you go. And uh, this was not a great game to start with. <laughs> I crushed the life out of him. <laughs> it should have oh my goodness we're ending no vector with a bit of a, a bit of a stinker here um so the idea for barrier actually came from jim pierce one of the owners of cinematronics and i guess the game history sites i've been reading this week mostly agree that the staff of cinematronics kind of collectively raised their eyes at how this new idea was basically <laughs> the a complete ripoff of the then very popular handheld mattel football game so if you know those handheld games this is an arcade version kind of of one of those in fact i think this game barrier was actually called blitz up until right before it was um, produced so that's another clear indication that of the football origins of the game i don't have much to say about this because i played the wrong game this week and it sounds <laughs> like i'm actually glad that i did <laughs> yes we should <laughs> see you know it's one of those things where uh, there's been a miscommunication this week we had a list ahead of time because we're going into no vectors we made the list and then uh, mike stopped listening <laughs> Mike just, you know, went off and did his own thing. <laughs> but the game that he decided on his own to play, off list, is a much more complicated game with a much more 
storied history that we'll want to really delve into. And I don't know anything about it. So I said, well, we're sticking with the list because there's not much to say about Barrier. So you can pick it up as we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I had this this nagging feeling in the back of my head all week that I was playing the wrong game. But, but I didn't thought, think maybe you should ask well, me. <laughs> but I, I thought, well, we just talked about a Cinematronics game, so we can't be playing another one. It's got to be this this other game. I, I, what I The game I played was uh, Atari Space Duel. Man, great game. Uh, too bad we didn't pick that one because so much better than what I'm seeing about Barrier. Anyway, Oh. Yeah, I, I did not play Barrier, and it sounds like I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, so the the idea, the game that Mike failed to play, <laughs> basically <laughs> this Barrier game. So the 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 way it plays is essentially the like I said, it's the same as the Mattel handheld football game. So in the Mattel game. If you haven't played it or you want to, oh, hey, I guess that's, if this wasn't something we were recording late, I'd probably put an ad in for the Metallica game. Or at least a right sound here. effect from the game. See what you're missing out on, folks. <laughs> like, so bleep, bleep, bleep. You can there just you play Mike, that's, too. It's that's always, what you get. It's always my fault. Doesn't play the game, makes us record late. See what I'm dealing with here, folks. <laughs> Football 2 from Mattel Electronics. I said who's in there. Hey, Mattel. I know who's in there. You wish, Franco. Look at Football 2's quarterback. Ever seen a better scrambler? A better passer? That's a Bradshaw in there. Looks like a Bradshaw getting sacked to me. And intercepted. I guess that's why they painted it mean Joe Green. Football 2 plays so great, you think, is in there from Mattel Electronics. So on the Mattel game, which was one of those crazy simple handheld games that like kids today would look at and go, really? I'm like, hey, that's all we had. So it was a grid of LEDs, like little little glowing lines. Not LCDs, not like this was a, a display that could, no, no, it was LEDs. They light up sort of like Game & Watch, but just all red. So it was a grid of those LEDs, seven wide by three tall, In the again, in the Mattel handheld game. And in that game, you were one of the LED blips and your opponents were these three other LED blips. And the idea was to move from the left to the right without interacting with them. So you'd move back and forth a bit and up and down a bit, trying to get them to open up a, a gap and then you could race through. And if you got to the end, that counted as a touchdown and you started over. Very, very simple game. So Barrier is basically the same game again, but we switched the perspective. So instead of being a horizontal uh, play field, it's up and down. So you're moving up instead of to the right. And also it increases the grid size a little bit so that it's three by 10 instead of just three by seven. So it's taller than it would have been otherwise. That really doesn't affect gameplay that much. And... um that's the whole game. <laughs> like, it's like <laughs> the grid has a quasi 3D look to it. Like, uh, uh, it, so instead of being a just a straight up and down vertical, it's it it tapers at the top as if it's something going way off into the distance. Um, the enemy football players, or rather, sorry, barriers, because it's not a rip off, um, <laughs> are basically these 3D diamond shapes and, and that rotate, and your avatar is a triangle. <laughs> and the grid is just a grid of lines. I mean, it's. It's not an exciting looking game. <laughs> I mean, I I grew up playing arcade games both at home and in the arcades and and for a lot of that time the one of the points was the games in the arcades looked better than anything else you could get elsewhere, especially at home. So at any given period or during the classic period at least, the games that you could play in an arcade were were better graphically or in sound or what have you than you could get in your home machines. That was one of the things. The, the movies in the cinema were bigger screens than you could get at home. That was the reason you would go out and spend money. But this thing, this looks like you could knock it off an 8-bit computer and have many, many cycles left to spare. <laughs> like there is no, no, nothing wow. going on on screen here. And it's not because it's a vector game. I mean, there's lots of vector games from... From uh, Gravatar to to Major Havoc, which have great looking graphics, or at least like 
elegantly functional ones that complement the gameplay, like such as in the case of Asteroids. But in the case of Barrier, it is dull to play and it is dull to look at, and that is a bad combination. And I think Mike skipped this week's game on purpose. I'm yeah, now I, realizing. I'm, I'm actually thinking I made the smarter choice here. I mean, who's who really got off better? I, I got to play... I got to play Space Duel, or Carrington had to play uh, this this barrier game. There's just um, nothing to it. It's I, like, ugh. It, it it does feature the the uh, Cinematronics five megahertz CCPU uh, as the main processor, um, vertical screen orientation, two player alternate uh, two players, uh, four buttons, left, right, up, and down. No, there's no. This is one of those games that doesn't have a stick. It's all button controlled. Um, and this is, I'm reading from arcade-history.com about the game right now. And it says, uh, uh, vector beam didn't have a game to shift after speed freaking needed a product to sell the cinematronics. And so they sold them barrier. And in the words of Tim Skelly laughed our asses off about it afterwards. There is actually more to the story and it's awesome. I'm going to well, tell you the story, tell Mike. I'm going to tell you the story. And it's, Hang I on, finally, let me get I finally have it. I think straight in my head, how this goes. So it goes <laughs> like this. So that. There's this day, imagine a day in the 80s where the head of Vector Beam visits, <laughs> visits Cinematronics and they're looking for a game that they could buy or license really and that they could build and sell quickly. Because at this point, Vector Beam was in a bit of trouble. They, I mean, they, they sort of had a gap coming up and they were in a bit of trouble financially. They had the staff, they had an assembly line, they had everything ready to produce another arcade cabinet, but they didn't actually have a game to produce. So they go to Cinematronics looking to license a game. Now, it's important to note who the founder of Vector Beam was. It's this guy named Larry Rosenthal. So Rosenthal had originally been at Cinematronics. He was the guy who designed Space Wars, and that had been a big hit. And more to the point, Rosenthal had developed it back when he was an independent, and he basically shopped it around looking for somebody to become the producer. And I mean, he did that literally. He built the game into a Samsonite suitcase, and he was just going around California with this TTL arcade game set up in a, in a, in a Samsonite. <laughs> and so he could lug it around to try to demonstrate it and sell it to the tech industry. And lots of companies didn't want to give him the time of day. Like, he was basically this nut with a suitcase. <laughs> they were telling each other, like, if he shows up, just don't even listen to him. But he shows up at Cinematronics, who had been sort of warned, I think, by maybe Atari that this, this loony was going to come by. But they were interested. And so, but the thing is, I think one of the reasons why people didn't want to talk to him much is what he was demanding, which was unprecedented at the time. He wanted, and he eventually got from Cinematronics, two things. A contract that would give him 50% of the profits of the game. And more importantly, he got to retain ownership of all the technology. Like they would partner up and they would get to produce this game, but it would still be his tech. So they agreed to the, those terms and it got put out. And then, then that, that game, which was um, uh, Space Wars, became a big hit. So fast forward a couple of years and the head of sales at Cinematronics, I think it was somebody called um, Bill Cravens, he convinces Rosenthal to leave Cinematronics and set up his own company called Vectorbeam. So Rosenthal does that and he takes two things with him. He takes Bill Cravens, so um, he basically takes away the head of sales of Cinematronics and he sets him up as the president of Vectorbeam. And since his contract says he owns all this stuff, he takes all the tech with him as well. So that basically leaves Cinematronics without the ability or any documents to make any more of their own games because he's gone and he owns it. So at this at this point, Tim Skelly is part of Cinematronics. I think he'd come on board, but just very recently or something. And 
And he gets tasked by Cinematronics to figure out, well, how to make more games because they now have no docs. They now have no anything. Um, he doesn't have any programming guides, basically nada. So he has to reverse engineer it all. And he does an amazing job. He, and it's out of that, he comes up with Starhawk and Ripoff and Starcastle and Armor Attack, a whole bunch of games. And those were all essentially based on the reversed engineered cinematronic system that was now officially over at Vectorbeam. So that's the situation for a little while with both Vectorbeam and cinematronics both making games essentially on the same platform. Um, but with different sort of levels of ownership there. And the difference being, I guess, Vectorbeam actually kind of raised the cabinet quality a bit. Like they started using plywood instead of particle board. I think they also switched to a better monitor or at least like a more reliable one. Well, Cinematronics is making same games for essentially the same platform except the reverse engineered one. And Vectorbeam is focused on these quality cabinet materials. Cinematronics focuses on like it says more reliability and more and, and repairability and also just like being able to cycle through games a lot. Like, like let's, you know, mass produce these things and how, how quickly can we come out with games, which means sometimes high quality, sometimes low quality, but they're about, you know, really pumping out these games really quickly. So that's kind of the, uh, the situation. So we fast forward a little bit and we come to that day we were talking about at the beginning where the head of vector beam goes to cinematronics saying, Hey, we're looking to license a game. So of course you have to know, like there's all this, essentially bad blood between the two companies because of all this history. And here's Vectorbeam saying, hey, can we license one of your games? There's not a little bit of irony in this, right? So Cinematronics is sitting there with this game they've just developed called Blitz that they had this young kid knock off as his first trial thing. And they did some playtesting on it and they knew it was a complete stinker. So Cinematronics <laughs> says, sure, we have a game we can sell you. <laughs> and so that's why they're laughing. because So they sell them this terrible game Blitz. And they're, they're like, aha, that'll show them. And they figure they sold them, what is it, a, a pig in a poke, I guess it's called. Because um, they know this game's a total dud. But then, this should really be a movie. But then in, there's another twist. Very shortly after this sale, Cinematronics turns around and buys out Vectorbeam. In fact, it's not even really a buyout. They had been suing Vectorbeam during this period and suing Rosenthal over this whole messy business from before. So I don't care what the contract says. You can't yank these things away. And essentially there was now – finally that gets settled. And the settlement is basically Cinematronics takes over Vectorbeam and they get all their game properties back too, including Tailgunner, which was ready to go. And Rosenthal, though, gets a buyout of a million dollars for all this because it was clearly the case that, you know, he did own this stuff. So that's how it finally gets settled. But essentially, right after pushing on to Vectorbeam and selling them this total garbage game, they end up buying them out for a million dollars and this garbage game is right back on, like this stinker of a hot potato was right back at Cinematronics again. Oh so Cinematronics at this point doesn't just have the game now. They've also inherited all the problems Vectorbeam originally had. Like they've got this, they're a million dollars poorer and they're now the one who have all this extra staff and debt and an empty assembly line desperate to push out a game. So suddenly they're the ones who have to support all this costly infrastructure by rushing out a game and naturally the only game they have to go are Gunner and this thing <laughs> like oh <laughs> so so like, I think it's a nice bit of karma I guess that Cinematronics ended up having to produce the game that they tried to sell and like this stinker of a game that they originally tried to pawn off on somebody else ends up becoming theirs and then what's interesting is that sort of thing is going on and you can see how Cinematronics is stumbling quite a bit in their their decisions they're making and so they end up after a bunch of failed games going into bankruptcy. They try to, they go into what in the U S is called chapter 11. It actually becomes the longest chapter 11 process in, in California history as they're trying to sort out their company and doing in this sort of death spiral. And it's actually during that period where they've already gone bankrupt and they're kind of slowly dissolving that they actually 
produce and put out Dragon's Lair. <laughs> so like this, like so that's a game that got produced and we talked about it. And at the time, I was confused. Like, why would it be made by Cinematronics when they're bankrupt? That's why. Like, there was this slow, long process of bankruptcy as they try to get back on their feet that they actually make Dragon's Lair and all the stuff that comes out of that. And such an interesting history. So that's, I think, the most interesting part of Barrier is not the game itself, which is a complete stinker, but this cool history of it being made as a test thing turning out to be bad. They try to sell it to another company then that they're already suing that they have all this long history with and they end up buying out that company and then they, they're stuck with it and then they have to put it out and it costs them a lot of money and contributes to their own bankruptcy. It sounds like uh, Vector Beam definitely got the last laugh on this one. And yeah, I, I get- totally. And I don't want to paint Rosenthal as some kind of bad guy either, you know, because he's the guy who created all this and he was basically the godfather of Vector Games. And no one held a gun to Cinematronics' head and forced them to let him keep the rights to the tech. I mean, that was the deal they agreed to. And if it was that Rosenthal had in some way, like, illegally screwed over Cinematronics, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have had to pay him out a million dollars to to buy him out in the end. Um, actually, that brings me to probably the best link of the show notes for this week, because <laughs> after the whole buyout and all this back and forth, Larry Rosenthal basically went away and left the industry. Like this guy who had started up and did all these amazing things just sort of didn't get he- heard from, heard from, it didn't get heard from <laughs> for many years, right until very recently at the most recent California extreme, he popped up and gave a talk. And thankfully somebody in the audience, I think in fact, two people, brought like their cameras and they recorded it and they stuck it up on YouTube. And so it's Larry Rosenthal speaking at California extreme. He talks about the situation. He talks about development stuff. He, he kind of laughs off the idea that he was actually getting 50% of the profits. I think it was more like $50 or something. It was a fixed mm-hmm. value. So you get to learn like a lot of the little details. He also, it's not necessarily everything he's saying is canonically true because people can forget stuff. This is from many years ago, but at least you get to see his side of the story. And, um, this video has like almost no views, which is totally a shame because it's a hugely interesting talk. And he talks about this whole story. So I, I really urge our listeners this week to go to the show notes and click on the link for Larry Rosenthal speaking at California Extreme. It's, he's really soft spoken. So you're going to have to yank up your, your, your audio levels. Um, oh, he, he even has the suitcase. Like, you know, like on the table behind him is the, the suitcase with that we're talking about with him going around <laughs> California. Like, here it is. Here's the Samsonite suitcase with the original thing in it. And so you get to see that. It's totally fascinating. So that was the best thing that came out of this week's terrible, terrible game. Oh, the game is so bad. But the history behind the game is so interesting. Definitely worth checking out. So the lesson here, kids, is if you're going to put out a really bad game, make sure it has a great story behind it. I think so. The people who podcast about it have something to say. Well, that and and that way your game won't be forgotten because this this game, by all accounts, looks like it should be. I I, I didn't play it. I'm glad I didn't play it. Uh, There there is a a web uh, a a write up over at dadgum.com. It's um, uh, Tim Skelly's. I don't know if we've mentioned this in in the past before, but it's Tim Skelly's history of cinematronics and vector beam. Oh, by Tim Skelly. Yeah, by Tim Skelly. He originally posted this back in like '99, so this is actually an archived copy on someone else's page now, but there's a big section on cinematronics, me and vector beam. And he mentions barrier, uh, several times through the write-up. It's, it's pretty neat. Definitely worth a read. Uh, especially, uh, yeah, go, go watch the, the video that Carrington talked about, then go read this and, and see if their stories line up or if they don't. Yeah. And again, people's memories can be different or whatever. And I oh, don't sure. think there was I'm like not saying long-term here, bad but... blood, blood or anything, but uh, such an interesting history for this particular Terrible, terrible game. <laughs> so we should talk about the game a little bit itself. I can tell Mike a little bit more of what he missed. Um, there's almost no sound in the game. Like there's no music playing. There's basically three sounds. Uh, when you, the diamond, the, the bad guys, when they move from one square to another, there's a bloop for that. 
When the triangle, which is you, when it moves forward or backward or left or right, it, you hear that sound. And if you interact, if the two are ever on the same square, you blow up and there's like an explosion sound. And for the most part, you're just hearing like beep, 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 like as you move. Wow. It's not exciting sound. And scoring is is very, very low. We've talked before about how with games, you know, at the beginning, especially in the 70s, they weren't trying to, you wouldn't have games where you'd score 200,000 points. They were smaller, 10s and 20s. Here, you score one point at a time. Every oh, time you move forward, you get a point. Every time you move backward, you lose a point. Um, and so you can just move forward, backward, forward, backward, and just stay on zero for a while. And that's it. So your score is how many spaces forward in total you have moved more than the times you've had to move backwards. So mm-hmm. don't get a huge score. I basically, I'll tell you now, I played until I finally crossed 100. And then I was like, I no longer need to play this game. Well, you can take, uh, at least take one thing away from, from all of this, Carrington. And that's that, that I guess I get a big fat zero because I didn't play the game at all. So you, you win by default here. Congratulations. As I should sir. win by default. <laughs> um, so we should talk about the cabinet because the cabinet oh, makes. Oh, yes. I, I was reading it, about that as you were, you were talking. And uh, yeah, please. It's weird. Let's tell us about it. Well, first of all, the control panel essentially makes no sense. I mean, well, it's not that it's unplayable. It's just from a production standpoint, I don't know what they're thinking. Like, it's a one-player game. Or, well, you can play two-player, but you alternate. So one player is playing at a time. But they made it an ambidextrous control panel. But since it's not like a joystick game where you'd have a joystick in the middle and like one or two buttons to either side, they make it an ambidextrous control panel that's only based on buttons. And they put the full, complete four movement buttons both on the left and the right. Which makes no sense because you were just only one person is playing at a time. You could have just had the you could have saved half the buttons. Like it, I don't know why they used. I guess they must have just had extra buttons, but they put all these extra buttons in. Um, you and so what happens here is there's like a diamond shape of four buttons for left, right, up, down, and that's repeated on both the left and the right of the control panel. It's doubled, and then in the start buttons and such are in the middle. Um, makes no sense at all. But it's the monitor. That's really interesting. So Barrier is, as far as I can tell, the only only cinematronics game to use a vertically mounted monitor. And so that's kind of interesting. But more interesting is it's also a 25-inch monitor. It's massive monitor instead of the normal 19 inches they were using. But it totally wastes all that extra space because it only uses about a third of the monitor. <laughs> so the way it wastes the space is actually kind of neat. So instead of the standard square bezel around the monitor, um, this one has bezel art that actually covers most of the monitor and has like a cutout in the middle in the shape of the game board <laughs> with a little more cut off to the sides where the score is display. And the art on the bezel, or really, I guess it's better to call it a monitor mask, is pretty cool. It's this image of a, of a robed figure reaching forward, like with these clawed fingers on either side of the game board. I, I like it. He's like, like this angry, faceless wizard. And the background is a, a cloudy sky filled with lightning and this crescent moon. Um, and it's cool. And it's done in blue and yellow. And that's not a lot of color, but at least it adds some color to – to um, uh, and it has a, an interesting image versus like the game board itself, <laughs> like which is just so boring looking. And the other thing about the monitor is it's not just that it's so much bigger than the game field. It's bigger than the cabinet itself can accommodate. Get this. It actually pokes out through a notch in the back door oh, of the goodness. cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> crazy that they did this um uh okay so what's good about the cabinet well like i said the the bezel image that covers up most of the monitor is actually pretty cool looking and better looking than the game itself it's also got half height side art and that's pretty cool it's another faceless wizard image and 
no, that's about it. That's good. <laughs> so, um, like, like for instance, take the the marquee. It's got the barrier logo, which is bland, but it's okay. But the marquee is made of metal, so it doesn't even light up. There's no light up there. This basically is one of the darkest, dimmest cabinets ever because it's got relatively dark art. The marquee doesn't light up. They cover. Two-thirds of the monitor is covered up by non-glowing artwork, and um, there's no uh, no lights or anything on the kickplate area. And the game itself, in the little bit of the monitor you're allowed to see, is a relatively dim vector image with that's not super bright and doesn't have any color. Um, and you add in the fact that this game barely makes any sound, and in a dark arcade, you could easily walk by this thing and assume the game was out of order. Like it, you can barely tell it's operational because it just sits there, totally dark, with this little sliver of the monitor available. Crazy! Like from a from a, a tracked screen standpoint, this is just terrible. Like nobody would even know this game was available to play. Um, it's a pretty rare cabinet because after all that rigmarole about dumping the game on Vector Beam and then getting it dumped right back on them, um, then needing to produce it because they basically had acquired vector beam they ended up only making about 150 of these cabinets before just shutting vector beam down <laughs> so <laughs> it was all that story and then really a lot of sound and fury and nothing came of it so hard hard to get it and i don't know why you would want it <laughs> it doesn't sound like uh, uh much fun at all and in fact i it, it, i think it, it would be safe to recommend that you just go out and get the mattel football game instead it, it's got a display just as big as this one <laughs> Um, so score wise, my score was 104 and I think I could have done better, but frankly, the only reason I play this game is give yourself a challenge. I, I challenged myself to reach a hundred points and then realized I was at 104 died and said, well, I guess I've done enough for the week. <laughs> it's just, it's not an enjoyable game to play. Like it's just, there's not enough game there. Like this is, this is an idea kind of roughly sketched out and should have, continued the game development to make a there's there's a a good game could be made of this idea of these moving barriers and you have to get past them absolutely they could have been different shapes there could have been some color involved there could have been much more sound but also there could have been more mechanics to the gameplay they didn't think through the rest of the game it existed as the mattel game so they said well if that exists then that must be good enough but the mattel game was something that you could sit on like a school bus when it was like a world before the walkman it was like this stare slack jawed out the window or you could play this Mattel game. That's what it was up against. So it was much more entertaining than, than the competing options. But an arcade game in the 70s is up against other arcade games. It has much more interesting things to compete against and this gameplay mechanic is not up to the task. So unless they were going to install these these um, barrier games on school buses, <laughs> they, was, they were never going to find a market. Although that would have been pretty interesting. Yeah, it sounds like uh, they really missed the mark on, uh, on on pretty much every count here, and that's that's kind of too bad. One of the great things is we say this over and over, but one of the great things about doing this podcast is is finding these hidden gems and and games that neither of us have heard of before, and and that that some listener has recommended because they saw it in a magazine or something. That hey, check this out. Why don't you play that? And it turns out to be this really awesome thing, and we have a great time. This is not one of those games, it seems, and I am glad that I picked the wrong game. Yeah, what a coincidence. Uh, what a this <laughs> mm. week. Um, but it does have an interesting history. So it like, I'm, sure. for that reason, I'm actually glad we, we dealt with this game this week because I, I did learn some stuff. I'm still – I bet you I got some of the, the details wrong and we'll have people write in to correct some of the sure, details yeah. of the story because it's a convoluted story from many years ago with multiple sources giving sort of uh, contrary views of what happened. But I, I think I summed it up 
fairly accurately. And, and it, regardless, it's an, it's an interesting history behind the game. So it's worth it for that. Well, and I think that pretty much wraps up uh, No Vector. So thank you, everyone, for participating and having fun, and uh, especially for entering our contest. I, I know we had a great time talking about uh, all all of these XY games, and uh, and I think there's there's I think like what forty or fifty games total total vector games that were made. Obviously, some we can't play because of the controls, and some were ended up being prototypes that uh, you know we just you know you can see pictures of it and hear people talk about it, but it's not playable. Um, and in those cases, we won't obviously be able to do much, but I think we have enough for at least a couple more no vectors coming up in the, in the future, assuming that Carrington doesn't uh, reach through the, the <laughs> throttle me before then. But uh, once again, thank you. And um, I guess next week we're, we're back to the regular games. I'm looking forward to that. I love vector games, but I'm looking forward to some pixels. Well, and here's some pixels headed your way. Only my way though. Who knows what you'll play? <laughs> well, that's true. I, I could play something entirely different. <laughs> All right, everybody, thanks. No, no, thank you. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Good show. Good show, sir. Good show, sir. Good show. My, I tip my hat to you. <laughs> to you, sir. Says you, sir. Uh, I said good show, sir. Good show. <laughs> <laughs>